This is the Box Office Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, a trade publication exclusively dedicated to covering the movie industry news from the perspective of theatrical exhibition. Joined today by our co-hosts, Russ Fisher, editorial director of the Box Office Studios, a division in our company that offers editorial services for movie theaters. Alongside my colleagues at Box Office Pro, Rebecca Polly, deputy editor, and our chief analyst, Sean Robbins. In today's episode, we are going to be joined by John Fithian, the president and CEO of the National Association of Theater Owners. It's going to be an interesting conversation that delves into a lot of the topics that we've been seeing across the industry over the last couple of months here in the COVID-19 pandemic. But before we get started, let me make sure to thank our sponsor this week, Cineonic. Uh, This episode is brought to you by our friends at Cineonic. Cineonic is the world's leading provider of cinema laser technology, illuminating more than half of screens globally. Cineonic is helping exhibitors to make decisions today that will support a bright outlook for cinema tomorrow, by providing accessible, best-in-class industry solutions. Visit Cineonic.com to learn more. Now, let's just jump into that conversation with John. Well, we are here with our guest this week, John Fithian, the president and CEO of the National Association of Theatre Owners. John Thank you so much for joining us. Just diving right into it, we have so much to ask you. The biggest question on all our minds has to do with the legislation aspect of of what we're going through right now. What's at stake with the next relief bill, and where are we as of today as we record this? It's a really good question, and in fact, uh, my team and I spent all weekend negotiating this legislation, and it's happening in real time. So the very quick background is obviously you guys knows so well with all the good work uh, Box Office has done in looking at the economics and movie theaters right now that we have been absolutely slammed by this pandemic and a record-breaking industry from 2019 with $42 billion in global revenues came March headlong into this pandemic and had to shut down all across the country. In some locations, we've been allowed to open up again with very tight capacity limits. And as you have discussed so often in your podcasts, We've lost out on a whole bunch of major studio titles as they're all moving down in the schedule into 2021. The coming vaccines are really good news for the world, of course, but also for exhibitions specifically, because that means that somewhere in 2021, people will feel very comfortable coming back to our movie theaters again. The bad news, if there is one, about the vaccines is that all the studios are looking at that vaccine timeline and thinking, I shouldn't release my movies now. I'm going to move them all into the last half of 2021, which means that the movie theaters in this country that are allowed to be open are barely making any money, right? I mean, Crude's opening weekend, we finally got to the point in some locations where we were making 10% of what we made in the same weekend the week before, I mean, the year before, whereas... You know, other than the tenant opening weekend, we've had weekends where we've been making four, five, and six percent of what we made last year, which means that by being open, many of our theaters are losing more money than by being closed. All of which is to say, long-winded start, I'm sorry, is that movie theaters in this country are in desperate straits for liquidity, right? They're on the verge of bankruptcy in many cases. 
Some are already starting to shut down permanently as opposed to just shutting down temporarily. This is the biggest existential crisis facing exhibition in its 115-year-plus history. And so there are several things that need to happen to help. One is Congress has got to give us some grant money to get us through to the end of this cycle. Congress has got to continue to give us tax breaks that enable us to stay solvent. The states have to pitch in and help us with grant money and help us with tax breaks. And so we're, we're fighting on all these levels, literally to have enough liquidity so that when we get to the other side and the vaccines are here and people start flooding back to cinemas again, as we know they will with the great schedule later in 2021, that our companies are still alive to show that, right? Okay, so one piece of all of that is the federal stimulus legislation currently being negotiated. And in the previous stimulus legislation, the so-called CARES Act, we got a few things that helped our members, right? We got some, some tax benefits on how you use the losses for your tax advantage, which helped all of our members, big, medium, and small. Uh, we got some so-called PPP loans that helped out some of our smallest members. Most importantly, we got some unemployment comp subsidized by the feds for our furloughed workers. Uh, the PPP loans are long gone, right? The unemployment comp's running out. And so both our companies and our workers are desperate. Okay, so what's in this stimulus bill? We can't get something in there that helps our biggest members. Congress just doesn't want to help big publicly traded companies right now, and that is unfortunate. So we're still fighting for tax breaks for those biggest members. But for midsize and smaller exhibitors, those exhibitors that you know aren't big and publicly traded and operate in, in multiple countries, there is a provision called the Save Our Stages Bill, which started off in the summer as a provision to help live venues. And then we added movie theaters to that bill. It's a $15 billion grant program. It was originally $10 billion for the live stages, and now it's $15 billion, meaning that extra $5 billion is probably for movie theaters. And it's a grant to cover costs of staying alive until you get to the other side, literally. We got this bill as written with this $15 billion grant program into Leader Mitch McConnell's Republican proposal as introduced. We got it into Democratic leader Chuck Schumer from New York's Democratic proposal as introduced. So one would think if you're in both parties' bills, you're going to be in the final result. Not so fast, because every time you get down to the final end of negotiations on these bills, everybody's scrapping for money, and everybody wants a piece of this. And there's so many industries and employee groups challenged in this country right now that people are fighting like cats and dogs, over the roughly $908 billion that's in this package. It needs to go to states and cities who are broke. It needs to go for testing protocols and vaccine distribution. It needs to go for unemployment comp. And there's that little, little $15 billion piece in there that we're fighting for. So this weekend, along comes Susan Collins from Maine and says, that's too much money for movie theaters and live venues. And I don't want that many people to qualify. And I'm leading the bipartisan negotiations. So I'm going to slash and cut it. So now literally I'm finding anybody from Maine who knows Susan Collins, right? Anna Kendrick grew up there. I talked to Anna Kendrick at CinemaCon one year about it. I'm asking Anna to send a note to Senator Collins from Maine. All the Maine theater owners are calling her, all the other senators. We're pulling out the big guns. We, we got Anna Kendrick is on it. If anyone listening to this is from Maine doing everything to ask anybody from Maine to say, please, Senator Collins, just let the movie theaters stay alive. That's all they're trying to do. So 
I mean, it's, it's more sophisticated than that. There are all kinds of lobbyists and targeted senators and coalitions, and it's a mad lobbying blitz right now to hold on to this bill. That was a really long answer to your first question. But since I haven't slept this week, and I thought I'd just give it to you right off the bat. Not to ask you to be psychic on no sleep. What do you think the timeline is for something like this? I mean, one of our colleagues here at Box Office Pro, Jesse Rifkin, you know, he also has experience with political reporting and says that a lot of this stuff tends to come down to like literally the last week of the year. Is that what you're hearing? Or has anyone given you any clarity on what the timeline is here? Good question. So there are two cutoffs. This Friday, December 11th, is the deadline by which Congress must pass funding legislation to keep the government open. Literally, that's how broken our political process is, is that once again, we're up against a deadline that if they don't figure out some bipartisan compromise on general funding or appropriations legislation, the government will shut down on Saturday and senior citizens won't be getting their social security checks anymore. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Right. The chaos continues in the U.S. of A. So everybody's kind of confident that a funding bill of some kind will pass by this Friday. It has to. They would look really awful to shut down the government right before Christmas, right? Like bad optics. So something's going to pass by this Friday. There's a, there's a thought that you take the stimulus bill, the $908 billion currently being discussed stimulus bill, and combine it with the funding legislation and pass everything by this Friday which is why they worked all weekend long. If you can't reach a deal on the stimulus stuff, you pass a, just a very simple continuing funding bill to keep the government open. And then you probably have until December 18th, a week later, to pass the stimulus legislation. The reason why December 18th is kind of a cutoff is this was an election year. It was a bloody election year. They've been hammering each other all year long. Some of them really want to go home for Christmas. I really hope they don't like not get it done by December 18th. And then we get to spend Christmas week here in Washington lobbying. But those are the cutoffs, December 18th and then next year. There are some who think you shouldn't spend any more money right now. The fiscal conservatives that we've already spent a couple trillion dollars. The economy is what it is. Punt it into the Biden administration next year. If indeed it's the Biden administration, the Republicans haven't conceded that one yet either. And you know, fix this in February, but it's got to be fixed now because the timelines on unemployment, all that stuff expires on December 31st. A lot of people are going to be hurting personally in January if they don't pass a bill. And a lot of our companies, it's month by month, right? If they get grants like in January, they can stay alive. If they have to wait until April, they can't. So we're pushing really hard. And I rarely do I give this long or this passionate of answers. But anyway, that's the nature of the biz right now. It's worthy of it. Why do you think that the U.S. support for a sector like theaters or live venues, as you mentioned, is lagging behind what we've seen in some other countries where things have reopened at a different pace? Like, we don't see the support that you might think we'd get in the public, in the press in some places, and even obviously from politicians. Do you think there's one answer to why that's the case? You asked a good question with three subparts, and there are different answers to all. Up until this point, the U.S. has not responded to help cultural institutions in the same way many European governments have, which is the root of your question, and it's a good one. And part of that reason is that there's historically been in Europe a belief that the government had a role in preserving culture, um, and that has not been the case in the United States. And not just arts funding, but if you think about simple government loan programs that have always existed, like small business administration loans, when I first started lobbying for NATO, this was in the 1990s, 
the Small Business Administration had a rule that you couldn't give loans to movie theaters because they were in the business of molding opinion. And we lobbied to get that changed, right? And so in the U.S., there's been this philosophical disconnect between government help and culture. Whereas in Europe, the government feels like promoting their own culture is huge. So there are all these great benefit programs. However, if we get this grant legislation passed, and if we preserve some of the tax breaks that our big members need, this will be the most significant government aid to the movie theater part of culture, probably in the history of the Congress. So we're trying really hard. So your subparts, American public gets this. A half a million letters have gone to Capitol Hill from movie fans saying, save your cinema. And by the way, you can still do this at saveyourcinema.com. Still important because we're still going to be fighting this legislation for another week or two. If you're from Maine, especially do it. Well, if you're from Maine, I wish this were live broadcast because you need to do it right now because Collins' stuff is being negotiated today. But from wherever you are, go to saveyourcinema.com. So the first subpart to your question, Americans are responding and movie fans want movie theaters to come back to when this pandemic's over. Some of them want to go right now and that's great and they can do so under our safety protocols, but, but they're responding like half a million letters, I believe. That's really cool. Um, and there's been a million letters from live venues, people that do local music clubs and comedy clubs and, and not, you know, gigantic Broadway plays per se, but off Broadway and small theater houses all across the country. And so this bill is about, it's all about American culture. It's about theaters. It's about live concert uh, performances and music performances. It's about movie, it's about movie theaters and live theaters. It's, it's, it's really about culture. So this would be a really big statement from the American government to support us. Members of Congress, we have bipartisan support. We've got 55 or 56 senators as co-sponsors of our bill, hundreds in the House, both Republicans and Democrats, and it brings together the right and the left. The lead Republican sponsor is John Cornyn from Texas, a very conservative member of the Senate. The leading Democratic sponsor is Amy Globachar from Minnesota, not a leading conservative, right? So it's it's got a lot of bipartisan support. This would be a very historic coming together of our government to support culture in this country, which is a big deal. And obviously, the other big outside of government news that came in last week and that we might actually be hearing a bit more uh, of this week with the Disney Investor Day on Thursday, December 10th has to do with another topic that NATO has been uh, very vocal and involved about, the theatrical exclusivity window. Of course, alarm bells rang all over the world with the news of Warner Brothers releasing its 2021 slate day and date. A lot of uh, incredibly foolish reporting uh, (laughs) also uh, came in from it. There's a lot of skyers falling narratives. Could you give us, uh, from the NATO perspective, your take on that news and what it means specifically for the theatrical recovery effort in 2021? Yeah. So I preface this by saying the thoughts I'm giving on this podcast are not official NATO policy. This is John Fithian answering your very good questions. Because we we didn't put out a formal statement when the announcement happened. And we didn't put out a formal statement because we wanted our individual companies to assess their reaction individually. And several of them put out statements, AMC, Regal, Cinemark, lots of smaller theater owners uh, took press questions and, and answered calls, but the, the big three all put out statements. And so because the issue of how a movie gets released, you know, what the window is, what the film terms are, 
what the placement is in the theaters is, is a individual negotiation between a distributor and an exhibitor. It's not really for NATO to say, you know, you should play these pictures. You shouldn't play these pictures. You should only do it under circumstances X, Y, and Z. That's just not what a trade body does. That, that decision's made individually by companies. Okay. So that's why we didn't put out a formal press statement. Much to the chagrin of the 67 reporters who called us and said, we need a NATO press statement now. And I love that my friend Steven Soderbergh did a big interview this weekend in which he said, and NATO needs to negotiate and resolve the Windows issues. I'm like, Steven, I'm not going to jail, pal. This is for our company to handle individually. All right? Yeah. Wouldn't that be illegal? That would be straight up illegal. Yes. That's called a (laughs) group boycott or a conspiracy. And we don't negotiate competitive terms for our members. Okay. So put all that aside. Nonetheless, I personally think this is a pandemic model and not a long-term model. And what do I mean by that? Throughout the course of the pandemic, we have been struggling desperately to get content into those theaters where they're allowed to be open. And the studios have been saying, some of them, okay, we'll work with you. Some of them, we can't really put our movies out now because we can't afford to, but we got to have different models. We can't rely on that kind of robust theatrical return, at least domestically. And now you can't rely it on Europe because most of Europe is closed. I would point out that Tenet still is going to do $375 million in global box office, which is a big deal. You know, and Chris Nolan tells me they're going to do gangbusters on the home release on December 15th, which means, hey, the traditional theatrical model with Windows worked in the only big movie to be released during the pandemic with a traditional model. Yeah, the numbers were down in the U.S. a little bit because New York wasn't open and L.A. wasn't open and we get it. But Chris and his wife, Emma Thomas, are very happy with how their movie performed globally and how it's performing in their uh, pre-home sales. And they're convinced that the theatrical model with Windows worked during the pandemic. Nonetheless, Chris Nolan is our friend. He really believes in the model. Not everybody thinks the same way. So there have been lots of proposals during the pandemic to change how movies are released just to try to get movies out during a pandemic. Some proposals I would call pandemic-only models And some are more long-term structural models, right? Like the stuff that Universal and some of our members have been negotiating, those are long-term structural models. Those are, here's how company X or Y has agreed with Universal to play pictures ongoing, right? Negotiated between parties, distributors and exhibitors working together on what a long-term model looks like. There wasn't any negotiation about this Warner Brothers announcement. They didn't talk to any exhibitors. They didn't talk to their talent. They didn't talk to their production partners partners like Legendary, who has two big films on their slate next year. They didn't talk to their people in their distribution offices. It was happening before many people at the studio, who are our friends, learned that it was happening. And I learned it from somebody at HBO Max, not at the studio. So this was a high-level Jason Kalar and above John Stanky decision at Warner Brothers. It wasn't a studio decision per se, and it's all about gunning subscriptions for HBO Max in the year 2021 because Wall Street's telling them they got to gun subscriptions. And yet, to me, it's still a pandemic model because they never would have risked the theatrical grosses on 17 titles had it not been during a pandemic. Last thing I'll say to my equally long answer, I had too much caffeine this morning. The last thing I'll say on my equally long answer is, and they described it as a pandemic model. In their announcements and in their discussions, they've said, we went in this direction because it's a pandemic. So they're, they're labeling it as a pandemic model. But I don't know why they then had to do it for all of 2021. Our assessment of 
the coming vaccines and the attitudes we're getting and surveying our movie patrons is that we're going to be like ramping up in spring and juicing it hard in summer, right? And whether or not Bond goes in April or June and whether or not these, you know, but nobody's thinking there aren't going to be any big pictures with successes until 2022. So the thing about the announcement that concerned me the most is, yes, they described it as a pandemic model, but then they said it extends all of 2021. So that's bizarre. And it's also bizarre they wouldn't talk to any of their partners who exhibit their movies, make their movies, co-produce their movies. That was just weird. Aside from these big sweeping announcements, whether they're something like Universal or something that's pandemic specific like Warner Brothers, you know, anecdotally, we're also seeing more cinemas in the U.S. play Netflix titles, play like Apple TV Plus titles like Sofia Coppola's On the Rocks. Just over the last couple months, since there hasn't been anything else to screen or not much else to screen. In speaking with your members, are you seeing more flexibility from them in terms of Windows? And do you get the impression that that is more a pandemic model thing or part of a more, you know, dare I say, permanent willingness to shift? Like I said earlier, trying to stay open during a pandemic when less than half the country feels comfortable coming back, despite the fact that we've made it incredibly safe with Cinema Safe, which we can talk about if you want to. Our members were desperate for content on the screens in those states and locations where they're allowed to be open and where they made the decision to stay open. And so, yeah, they're, they're playing all kinds of stuff, some of which they would have played before the pandemic and some of which they wouldn't have. So at the beginning, I would say playing a lot of these pictures from, from folks like Netflix and whatever without Windows guarantees or whatever is a pandemic play. However, and this is where the timing of your question is really interesting, on the heels of the Warner Brothers announcement. And I have great friends at Warner Brothers and tremendous respect for them. And so this is the piece that I do not get. If they stick with this model, they're going to lose their talent. They're going to lose their filmmakers. They're going to lose their big projects. And those people are going to go to Netflix and Amazon and Apple and Disney and Sony and Paramount and Universal. And you get the point is that Warner Brothers consistently has made lots of movies, big, medium, and small. They have 17 movies on the calendar for 2021. But there were more than 50 directors or stars who had participant deals in those 17 movies that are now like seriously damaged by this change in release models. We won't go into how artists get compensated on the back end and their participant deals or whatever, but there are a whole bunch of big names that are like, I wanted my movie released theatrically around the world, and I wanted a window, and I wanted to make money theatrically and then make it later on PBOD and get my cuts, and now you're crunching all this stuff. I don't want it to hit HBO Max and then have a pristine yes. piracy copy available two hours later. <laughs> you're killing my back end. And also, as a, not just as a financial proposition, but as a creative proposition, most movie makers want their best movies to be seen on the big screen, right? So Warner Brothers is risking losing talent left and right. How does this relate to your Netflix thing? Um, as our members needed product during the pandemic, and as they're seeing stuff like the Warner Brothers announcement, the idea of working across the board with a company like Netflix is now much more attractive. I mean, pre-pandemic, our members were negotiating to try to pay Marty Scorsese's Irishman on a big wide theatrical release, and they didn't quite get there, right? But they were talking about an exclusive window that's more than what Warner Brothers just did. So this Netflix idea of playing wider in movie theaters now is much more attractive than it was a year or two ago for our members. So all of our members are talking to Netflix and Apple and Amazon and anybody else that's got good content because the models are all changing. 
So it's both. It's been such a shifting situation as we live through this pandemic with uh, obviously levels going up and down, theaters opening and closing all over the world. One of the questions that we've gotten from some international colleagues, it's hard to predict, right? But more or less a, a rough time frame of where we can see that recovery start, because I'm not sure if it's really started in earnest without that studio support. We just heard news that Cineworld is thinking about reopening in March. From your perspective, where does that light at the end of the tunnel start? Where can we start talking about movie theaters now reopening and a gradual recovery taking place? Yeah, so theaters are open and just under half the theaters are open in the U.S. right now. Right. So we got what, 42,000 screens and 19,000 plus are open, if I remember the data correctly. And so it's a state by state, city by city, location by location analysis on what's open now. But does open now mean that they're recovering? No. As described earlier, many of them are losing more money being open than closed. They just want to keep film going alive and keep serving their community and keep their people employed. But it's not a money making proposition at this juncture in the US. Nor is it in Europe where most of our cinemas are closed. However, in China and Japan, we're kicking ass. I'm not sure I can say that on your podcast. You can say anything you want. We curse enough here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. go for it. Some of these (laughs) movies in China and a couple of them in Japan, the anime picture in particular, they're doing amazing business. Why is that? Because they stopped the virus and they have big new content. That's all it takes, right? So to answer your question about the pace of recovery... It's already happening in China and Japan. And the way that the disaster, it started in China, it moved to Asia, it moved to Italy, and then the rest of Europe, and then the Europeans brought it to the US. I know our president likes to call it the China virus, but it was actually the Europeans mainly that brought it to the US. And that's why New York got hit so hard. And so as the virus moved from Asia to Europe to North America and Latin America, the closures went Asia, Europe, right? I remember a board call in March, and you referenced Cineworld, and Mookie Greidinger is sitting there in Europe and Israel saying, we're starting to close down in Europe. It's coming your way in a few weeks. And our American exhibitors like, nah, we're not going to close down the US. <laughs> and then boom, right? So th- the migration of the closures is likely to be very similar to the migration of the economic recovery. And it's already happening in China and Japan. That's very good news because that means people want to come back to the cinemas and they love seeing movies on the big screen and they were just worried about their health with this virus thing or their government shut down the cinemas anyway. So the numbers in China and Japan are very encouraging. My guess is if Europe actually tamps it down in the next couple of months, some of them are, are trying hard, some of them aren't trying hard enough to tamp it down, that in February, you start to see people January, February feeling more comfortable going back to cinemas in Europe. And that's why Mookie's thinking March in North America, because it's been going like this. A lot depends on how Americans behave over the Christmas holidays. Listen to Dr. Fauci. He's trying to tell it like it is, people. Wear your masks and stay home for now and get us to the other side. And if we tamp it down and the vaccines start coming, they're already coming faster in Europe than they are here, which is disappointing. But vaccines start coming and we have a significant portion of the population vaccinated by March or April, we could be doing decent business by then, right? And it's just holding the film slate. So all the studios have hired all these epidemiologists and they're all trying to become scientists. And when will the vaccine be 50% 
available? And then, well, how will that turn the tide and people feel comfortable about going back to the movies? And we're pretty confident by summer, we're going to be doing some real, real, real business. The question is, can we, can we do real business in March, April, and May? So long answer to recovery. We're beginning the recovery sometime next year in earnest. I just don't know if it's spring or summer. I want to see bonds. Yes. So everybody behave over <laughs> Christmas. Now, with respect to that, the idea of maybe it's uh, beginning of spring, beginning of summer, whatever the time frame is, what sort of strategy do you have for getting messaging out to the public? Because I think that you mentioned that there are markets that are largely open in the U.S. right now, but I think there's a lot of public uncertainty or confusion or lack of awareness about what's open and what's not theatrically. So what sort of strategy do you have to send that message out to people that things are open and the product is coming? Really important question. And you're right on the data. We work with a couple third parties that survey our patrons kind of on a weekly basis. NRG is doing a really good job with this too. And like more than half of our patrons over the course of this whole thing in states where theaters were open, didn't know that their theaters were open. And that's tough to counteract when you don't have big marketing campaigns for big movies out there. Because that's what people, they see, oh, tenants coming, but then nothing else, big marketing campaigns. So those marketing campaigns for movies made people think, really, are my cinemas open? And they go check their showtimes. They're like, ah, my cinema's open. Cool. I'll go see this movie. So we, in terms of messaging, we thought about several stages and several messages. And the one that we decided to start with during the pandemic was safety. And that's where Cinema Safe comes from, um, a program that we're very proud of, that we worked long and hard with epidemiologists to develop a set of protocols that make cinemas truly safe. And they are. And we haven't had one reported case of a transmission of the virus in any cinema in the U.S. or around the world, whereas churches and synagogues and restaurants and bars have a lot of them. We have zero, and yet we get lumped in with all the. Anyway, our safety protocols are good, right? So the first messaging was. Cinema safe. And we put a lot in that. Warner Brothers helped us with that. So did a lot of other studios. It's a really good program. And our members are following it. And it's such a good program that several governments in Southeast Asia contacted us and said, Can we just enact your protocols for our countries? And we said, Sure, fine, take them. But they're good protocols. So you messaging the fact that these protocols exist and having our companies talk about all that they're doing to create a safe environment was the first message uh, that we started. When we thought we were going to have a whole bunch of big titles in the fall, um, there was going to be a second wave of messaging, which was about coming back out to the movies, and it's time, and here's all this great content, and you've done your job being in your house for all these months, and now now it's time to come back out and watch these great movies. But then the movie slate fell apart. So the studios weren't willing to back a come back out to see these great movies campaign when there weren't a whole bunch of big movies. So that second wave of messaging kind of got put off. And now it's a question of when we pull the trigger on that. And that has a lot to do with the vaccine rates and confidence rates. And I don't know if my camera goes off every time I beat my table, what's causing that, but I should be less enthusiastic in my gesturing. So Probably sometime in the spring, we get to your question, which is ramping up the not just the safety protocols, but ramping up that it's time to come back out to the movies. And and that needs to be timed with a lock on movie slates and big movies 
And Mookie's made it very clear he needs movies to open back up again. I mean, this is a company-by-company decision. AMC and Cinemark have stayed open, and Marcus has, but Regal hasn't. Those are those are individual company decisions. But he clearly says that there's a that there's a solid group of movies. I'll open up in March, and by the same token, that would be kind of the same time frame that we're saying it's time to come back and have a real marketing push because it takes an industry marketing push and it takes advertisements for movies to get people aware that we're open and come back. I got really excited when I saw, I think, a Crude's TV spot in a football game back in, I don't know, late September, early October or something. It was like, oh, this is the first of these that I've seen literally since March, you know? And it seemed like exactly that. It seemed like it could be a herald of, okay, maybe this is going to happen. And that is, as you said, just before that whole slate fell apart. I saw a billboard for Freaky and I felt like I was seeing a dinosaur in the wild, like after so many months, actual, actual P&A spends. Studio <laughs> advertising. What? Wow. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us again. It's been a real pleasure and privilege to, to get you on and, and discuss some of these things, a very informative session and getting the behind the scenes of the relief bill, which as we know is priority number one for you guys over at NATO and for everyone here working outside of the movie theater sector in parallel and conjunction with them. So yeah, on behalf of all of us, thank you for joining us. And um, yeah, we look forward to continuing covering everything that's happening here in the future weeks. Thank you very much. Go to SaveYourCinema.com. Bye. Thanks again to our guest, John Fithian from the National Association of Theater Owners. And another thank you to this week's sponsor, Cineonic. You can find out more about their projection equipment at Cineonic.com. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Caitlin and Record Edit Podcast. For more information on the latest news affecting the movie theater industry, go visit boxofficepro.com. And if you like this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts and subscribe. It's the easiest way to make sure we can continue bringing new episodes to your home or wherever you are, really. Until next time, thanks again.